Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. June 4th, 2011, 32-year-old Nick Walinda stood atop the Coronado Plaza Hotel in San Juan, Puerto Rico. As a crowd gathered in the courtyard below, he checked the tension on his steel cable strung to the hotel's other tower, 300 feet away. Glancing down, he saw something that made his heart skip a beat. There on the concrete wall were scratches left by his grandfather's tightrope 33 years earlier. Tightrope walking is a family tradition for the Walendas. Nick is a seventh-generation funambulist, descended from a long line of performers known as the Flying Walendas. His grandfather, Carl Walenda, may have been the most daring of all time. At age 65, Carl Walenda completed a walk across Tallulah Gorge in Georgia, a quarter-mile span some 750 feet above the river below. To wow the 30,000 spectators even further, he stopped midway and performed a headstand on the high wire. Carl Walenda's last walk was at the Coronado Plaza in 1978. Braving winds of up to 30 miles per hour, the 73-year-old daredevil first paused, then sat down on the wire, then fell to his death. Family members later attributed the tragedy to poorly attached guy ropes. The wire had not been properly stabilized, allowing too much sway. He simply didn't have the strength to manage the added stress. Tightrope walking is all about tension. First, the wire itself must be stretched tight, but not too tight. Depending on the length of the span, the riggers may place up to 4,500 pounds of stress on the wire. Even at that, the cable must contain some slack to match the rhythm of the performer's steps. A perfectly tight wire would be impossible to walk on, and too much sag creates sway. Performers must also manage the tensions within their bodies. Since their feet are always in alignment, their center of balance is extremely small. This puts tremendous tension on their ankles. Some high-wire performers extend their arms to widen their center of gravity. Others carry a long pole, relieving some of the pressure on their legs and reducing their rate of sway. When all the stresses are properly managed, skywalkers are able to perform amazing feats. They train in winds of up to 80 miles per hour. They sometimes perform at night, or blindfolded, or even in the rain. These high achievers have completed walks at heights over 3,000 feet and over distances of well over a quarter mile. Stepping onto the wire 121 feet above the Coronado Plaza, Nick Walenda confidently slid one foot forward and began his skywalk. Reaching the spot where his grandfather had fallen, Walenda paused, looked up to the sky, and blew a kiss. Moments later, he safely reached the other side. I wasn't scared at all, he said. For tightrope walkers and leaders who can manage the tensions that go along with high performance, the sky is the limit. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're talking about how to manage a team of high achievers. 
Every leader would love to have a team of all-stars, but we sometimes discourage and frustrate our high performers without even realizing it. In this episode, we'll show you how to manage the three tensions you face with leading high achievers. We'll also have a visit from Rory Vaden, who'll tell us what frustrates high achievers, and we'll hear from Todd Henry, author of Herding Tigers, on the two things that creative people need more than anything else. When we're done, you'll have the confidence to lead a highly engaged and productive team that produces way beyond your expectations. Hey, before we get started, we'd like to ask you something. If you're enjoying Lead to Win, if you've been listening to it for a few weeks or even longer, would you please leave a review? And to make it super easy, you can just go to michaelhyatt.com slash review it. This helps us so much get more visibility for the program and helps other high achievers just like you find it. Thanks so much. Dad, I love that story about high wire and managing tension. Um, we usually think of tension as a bad thing, but apparently the right degree of tension is exactly what you need. Yeah, exactly. But before we get into all that, I got to ask you a really practical question. Did you, before last week, know what a funambulist was? No, it sounds like a medical condition. I know. (laughs) Well, and it means just tightrope walker. And why did we just say tightrope walker? Because that was so much cooler. I know, it was so much cooler. We, you know, never never use a easy to understand word when something complicated will do. (laughs) I think it's the other way around. (laughs) Oh, is it? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. All right. Okay, so yeah, tension is really important. It's exactly what you need if you're going to perform at a high level. Tension produces growth, right? Tension happens when two forces pull in opposite directions, kind of like uh, stretching a rubber band or a violin string. Business tensions are things like profitability versus growth. There's always a tension there. Or excellence versus having margin. Both are good, and they have to exist in a tension. The key is to manage these tensions in order to grow. And I think that what happens a lot of times is we want to eliminate one side or the other. Totally. Tension is uncomfortable. We should have said that too. I mean, that's just kind of a reality of tension, right? Yeah, that's right. She sort of feel uncomfortable, so the tendency is just get rid of it. Well, back to the high wire idea. You know, when you're trying to balance, that's where you're taking opposing forces and you're trying to keep everything in balance at the same time, and it's tough. But it's a tension that has to be managed Mm -hmm. because if you cave to one side or the other, you fall off the rope. Boom. A study in Harvard Business Review found that successful companies thrive because they choose which tensions to manage. Balancing tensions pays off. And this is one of the things I think as leaders we have to become aware of is what are the tensions we're managing? Right. Let's try to stop eliminating the tension and let's just live with it because a healthy organization is going to have these kinds of tensions in it. So part of our job is to kind of increase our tolerance around tension for for one thing. Um, So we know that tension is good for an organization, but what about the tension in the leader, him or herself? I think some leaders may be intimidated by the prospect of leading high achievers because it creates tension. And so they, they tend to just, you know, avoid it. Like they don't want to lead people that are smarter than they are or who are really high performers um, because it, it creates kind of this internal conflict. Some leaders are intimidated by high achievers. Mm-hmm. They may feel insecure around smarter, more talented people. Some high achievers have a big ego and they're arrogant and that can make the leader uncomfortable. High achievers are ambitious and they often push the boundaries. Sometimes they've been known to, to color outside the lines, right. right? They can be kind of high maintenance. They can be. 
And high-level talent is also expensive to hire. That's true. Right? But most of these objections have to do with the leader's personal growth. I mean, a way to reframe it is that if you're a lifelong learner, you're willing to admit what you don't know. And if you can't handle a smart, ambitious employee, guess what? You need to grow. Hmm. Bruno Martinuzzi said, quote, hire people who are smarter than you are, whose talents surpass yours, and give them opportunities for growth. It's the smart thing to do, and it's a sign of personal humility. You know, one of the things I've observed in companies is that if the leader refuses to hire people smarter than he is or more capable or better at execution or better at anything than he is, that's going to limit the organization. The real key, if you want to grow the organization, if you want to accomplish amazing things, is fill the company with people that are more capable, better educated, more experienced, whatever it is, but high achievers that are better than you. Okay, so dynamic tension is something that we know a lot about here at Michael Hyatt and Company because we've been assembling a team of rock star contributors for the last five years. We're up to about 30 people and counting. I think actually we're a little over that now. Um, And today we're going to identify three tensions that we deal with in leading high performers. So what's the first one? Okay, so tension number one is doing versus leading. Mm. So you've got to manage this tension and sometimes it's temptation between doing the work yourself and directing others, right? And so leaders are often high performers themselves. Right. And we want things done with absolute uncompromising excellence. We know what to do. We know how to do it. So the tension on the one side is micromanaging. You know, everybody's yeah. got to do it exactly like we would have done it. And I worked for a guy years ago, one of my, actually my first editorial job ever, but he micromanaged me to death. I I literally, I was so excited about working for him, but I literally stayed in that job six months and left because he would get together with me at the end of the day and he would say, hey, let's run through what you did today. Oh my gosh. And so I'm Ah. like, well, what do you mean? And he said, no, I wouldn't know what you do, like Like hour by hour. And so I thought at first, I thought, well, maybe just kind of wants to get a sense of where I'm spending my time. And so I kind of went along for a few days. No, it was every single day. And when I objected to it, he said, well, why don't you just give it to me in writing then? That would be easier. Really? I want to spend time writing up a report at the end of the day? That's what I'm talking about, micromanaging. And it communicates a lack of trust. Right. And that's ultimately why I left, because I felt like he doesn't trust me. Okay, so I have a question for you because this is a real challenge okay. that I've faced personally um, as a leader and not not my um, inclination so much to micromanage, but I've seen other people do it and I probably struggle more on what we're going to talk about in a minute, which is abdicating. But um, why do you think people micromanage and what is the appropriate level of direction to give someone? Like, how do you know when you've begun to micromanage and when your expectations have become unreasonable? Yeah, I think your job is to articulate the outcome, what it is that you want, and not how they accomplish it. Because there are a thousand and one ways to accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And when you start getting to the specifics of how they do the job and that you want it done the way that you always did it, what if they came up with a way to do it that's better than the way you did it? So you're holding people accountable to the results, not the process. That's right. That's why, you know, in our business, we have a a forum called a Project Vision Caster Mm -hmm. that we use, which enables somebody who's in a position of leadership to articulate the vision or the outcome that they want, Mm -hmm. but gives complete freedom to the person who's receiving that delegation to improvise, use this method or that method. Now, if they ask me, they say, well, 
do you have any advice on how you want it done or how you've done it in the past? Yeah. But I always make it clear that it doesn't have to be done this way. You know, there's there may be another way to do it. Like I'll give you an example. Back in the early days when I was first recording uh, my first podcast, which was called This Is Your Life, which is still on iTunes, I did everything. I mean, I did the show prep. I did the recording. I did the editing. I did the posting. I did the show notes. It's a lot of work. I did everything. It was like taking me two full days a week. It was wow. a lot of work. So I decided that this was unsustainable, that if I was going to you know, learn to love podcasting again, I was going to have to figure out what is the thing that only I can do and get focused on that. Well, for me, that's delivering the content. I didn't need to do the editing of the podcast, and I certainly didn't need to be posting it or doing the show notes. But I thought to myself, before I actually delegate this to somebody, I'd like to document what I'm doing. So I did that. So I documented in Evernote at the time a complete list of everything I did to produce the show. Then I handed it to somebody I hired on a contract basis, and I said, here's how I've been doing it. Feel free to deviate from this. What I'm interested in is the quality of the show. However you get to that, I don't care if you use the software I've been using, use something different, doesn't matter. I'm really interested in the outcome. Does that make sense? It does. I think that's that's very different. You know, you're kind of suggesting a possible success path, but they can figure out a new one if it's better. That's right. Yeah. And I don't want them to have to reinvent the wheel, you know, if, if they don't have to. I'll tell you the other thing, by the way, of having done it yourself and then delegating it, then at least you have a better basis for evaluating their work. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Helps so, you have more reasonable expectations. It does. One of the things that frustrates high achievers most is being micromanaged. And a great antidote for that is learning how to delegate. Recently, we talked with Rory Vaden, who manages a team of high achievers, and he offered these tips on delegating effectively. You know, when we were conducting the interviews of the multipliers for Procrastinating on Purpose, in the chapter on delegate, there was one interview where somebody said two things that radically changed my life and stuck with me. The first thing they said is, look, my job as the leader is not necessarily to do. My job as the leader is to make sure that it gets done. And the second thing that they said is they said, you have to remember that 80% accurate done by someone else is almost always better than 100% accurate done by me. Wow, those are powerful insights and radical and a little bit different from what we might always hear. And that is why we call the corresponding permission of delegate the permission of imperfect. It The ability to let other people do comes from releasing yourself of the emotional drive for perfection, that emotional need to do everything perfectly, which means that you let go of the need to do everything yourself. Because 80% done by someone else is almost always better than 100% done by you. I absolutely love it. It's a game changer. And it reminds me of what one of my favorite teachers and pastors, Andy Stanley, had to say. He said, you have to remember that leadership is not about getting things done right. Leadership is about getting things done through other people. 
Before we go on, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Full Focus Planner. And honestly, I've been obsessing about it because we're getting so much email and so many social media posts about people who have restored their focus and are getting enormous productivity out of this planner. In case you don't know what it is, it basically pulls together the goal setting and productivity principles from my best year ever and free to focus courses and combines them into the most functional physical planner out there. The planner makes it easy to track your goals each day, keep your targets visible, and act on your highest priorities. The hundreds of thousands of happy customers out there use it to distill their big annual goals into daily actions. Basically, it follows a 90-day cycle so that you can make each quarter move you closer toward your annual goals. And if you order the planner, you have two options for buying. You can buy a single planner, just give it a try for a quarter, or you can get the annual subscription for every quarter of the year. The annual subscription is really the best deal. You get four planners for the price of three. That's right, four for the price of three. And the planners come delivered to your doorstep at the beginning of each quarter, so you only have to make a buying decision once. If you want to rescue your year and get back on track with your goals, the Full Focus Planner will help you do just that. You can find out more at fullfocusplanner.com. Okay, so tension number one is doing versus leading. As leaders, we find the balance by defining outcomes without prescribing methods. What's tension number two, Dad? Tension number two is now versus later. So in other words, you must manage the tension between short-term and long-term results. This is tough. It's very tough. Sir Isaac Newton said, I do not know what I may appear to the world, but to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then and finding a smoother pebble or prettier shell than ordinary, while the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. So in other words, we can get so engrossed in the right now, mm-hmm. and it's so tempting to do in business, that we don't take into to account the, the, the big picture. Or we can be so fixated on delivering a great product next year. Or something shiny and new. That's right. That we don't generate any revenue this month. We just had this conversation yesterday with our executive team. Right. Right. As it turns out, it's something we struggle with. I mean, I think every leader struggles with this. You know, you're you're probably naturally given either more to the present or the future. And I would say a lot of leaders are just naturally oriented toward the future. And that's where all the exciting, fun, shiny stuff is that doesn't have any, you know, limitations or constraints attached to it yet. And so it's it's easier for all of us to focus on that stuff uh, rather than on executing what we have to in the present. But the tension is, it's kind of like we're always running the business we have and building the business we're going to have simultaneously. Right. It's like a set of glasses where one of the lenses is focused on the distance mm-hmm. and the other one is focused on things that are up close. Like in our executive team meeting yesterday where we were talking about it, you know, you made the point of saying, look, we've got a great plan. We've got a great plan to uh, to achieve the budget, even exceed the budget that we have. But if we're not careful with all these ideas, and we have a very creative group, <laughs> we're going to get distracted. Right. It's going to pull us off mission, and we're going to lose focus, and we're going to fumble the ball and not even achieve our budget. Yeah. You know, and the problem is that those things are tempting in the moment because you think, wow, this is a great way to even exceed our budget. Right. But you risk the budget itself. Right. And at the same time, you can't totally forget about them. Right. So now and later are in constant tension. Short term, you may have the best idea because of your experience. Long-term, it's better for the team to struggle to produce a new concept. Short-term, your upper management will pressure you to stay on budget. Long-term, it's better to give your creative team the resources they need. Short-term, you need to measure objective results, 
deadlines, deliverabilities, and profit. But long-term, you need to monitor subjective values like morale and engagement and team health. So there's this constant tension that's not going to go away that you've got to manage between the short-term and the long-term because both categories matter now and later. You know, it's funny as a leader, I often feel like if I'm succeeding, then I have less tension in my life, you know, less tension between these two things um, as I'm leading other leaders. And it's helpful to remember that that's not the right definition of success, that the the tension's never going to go away. And it's all about artfully managing it kind of like that high wire act. It's not about, you know, trying to eliminate, you know, the now or the future or um, whatever the tension of the moment is, because that's just part of the job. Yeah. You know, this is probably true in any kind of organization. It's easy to get focused on the now Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, you got to survive. You got to make it uh, through the short term if you're going to have any kind of long term. But I think it's up to us as leaders in whatever context we find ourselves. Nobody's going to say, hey, why don't you take a couple of days off and focus on the long term? We've got to fight for that. Mm -hmm. We've got to find the time to stay focused on the long term without losing focus on the short term. Again, we're right back to the tension. So tension number two in leading high achievers is managing the balance between now and later and being willing to kind of make frequent adjustments between the two so that you maintain that balance because it's it's harder than it looks. And if you uh, focus on one over the other, you're going to have a problem. Yep. That brings us to our third tension. Yeah. Tension number three is goal versus gap. These are two things that you have to maintain in tension. Man, this is... I I feel like you're just coaching me right now because this is my life. (laughs) I know. Well, it is for all of us. So you got to manage this tension between where you are and where you want to be. And you've got to help the high achievers in your organization manage this as well. The gap, just to be clear, is the difference between where you are and where you want to be. And there's always a gap for high achievers. Why? Because they're always imagining a new goalpost. Every time they achieve one goal, it moves. So it's always bigger. It's always you know, a bigger increase, it's a bigger sale, it's something that's out in the future that creates a gap between where we are and the present. And there's always a gap if you're goal-oriented. Now, this tension is vital, but can also be dangerous. High achievers are keenly aware of the gap, but they want to be challenged. Yep. According to the Society for Human Resource Management, having meaningful work and opportunities to use their skills and abilities are two of the three conditions for employee engagement along with relationships with coworkers. You want goals in the discomfort zone, as I talk a lot about in your best year ever, Mm -hmm. uh, to keep people motivated. If they're just in the comfort zone, they don't really ignite our imagination or compel our best performance. Especially as a high achiever. I mean, it's just They're forgettable. Yeah. Right? And so in organizations where they set goals that are in the comfort zone, that's the best way to run off the high achievers. Mm -hmm. It's got to be hard. It's got to be hard. Not too hard. Right. Can be in the delusional zone, but it's got to be in the discomfort zone. They've got to have a reasonable sense that, okay, it's in my discomfort zone, but I got a chance at this, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to be meaningful. So if they start to live in the gap, though, they get demotivated. Right. Now, we've experienced this a lot in our organization where we set a big goal out there yep. and maybe we didn't quite achieve it. So what happens psychologically? Oftentimes what happens is you you know you have leaders who become scared to set big goals. 
You know, that might not be the word that they would use, but hesitant, I guess is probably a better word. You know, they feel hesitant about that. I've experienced that myself. You know, I think yes. all of us have experienced that. And in our company, you know, we, we win a lot, but we miss a lot too. I mean, it's just sort of the nature of goal setting in general is that you, you know, you're, you're educated guessing and there's going to be times that you win and times that you don't. And one of the things that I found really important as a leader when I'm coaching the leaders on my team is to model how I think about the times that we miss. Because they're going to turn right to me, either literally or, totally. you know, in maybe a more subtle fashion that if I'm not looking for it, I miss to see how I respond. Like, and what they're really asking is, do I consider it a failure? And do I consider them a failure? Yes. You know, and that's the and, question behind the question. And what does it mean if I think they failed or if they think they failed? It's easy to, to miss goals and think that there's some kind of like connection between those things. And usually speaking for myself, the connection that I see as a problem is me and my own leadership, right? Like there's something <laughs> right. wrong with me. That's why I, I've missed, you know, in this goal. And all leaders do that at all high achievers. We all do it. Yep. If, if you're, if you're listening and you do it, you're welcome to the club, you're normal, you know. But the the really important thing there is to recognize that there usually are subtle differences between those uh, misses that are important to recognize. Like maybe the goal was not set well to begin with. You right. know, maybe there was something you didn't know when you said it, or somebody else said it for you before you were even there, and and it wasn't a fair setup to begin with. You know, and you need to take that into account. Um, you know, maybe there was something that was outside of your control that happened. Maybe there was something inside of your control where it's an opportunity for growth. But regardless. It's all just learning. And it's very important as a leader leading other leaders to model that, that there's no real risk of failure for your people. Um, there's only opportunities for learning because if if people feel like it's life and death, which is what it can feel like, right. if failure's on the line, then they'll stop setting big goals and then you just might as well throw in the towel. Yeah, they'll shut down. They'll shut down. You know, we quoted Dan Sullivan on this, and I don't think anyone has said this uh, more articulately than he has when he talks about measuring the gap versus the gain. Mm -hmm. And I think this is critically important in those situations that you described. And that is, as a leader, you can focus on the gap, how much they missed, right, or how much they gained. And I think when you're trying to lead a team, it's critically important that, that first of all, you, acknowledging the gap is fine. You know, right. I have no problem with that. Well, actually, know. that's really important because if you don't acknowledge it, people will think that you're kind of a Pollyanna leader and that you they can't trust exactly you right. to say what's true. So yeah. you you have to be transparent and truthful or you lose trust. That's right. But having said that, you can't stay in the gap. Right. And this is where I think Dan talks about measuring the gain. You know, we may have missed that million dollar campaign that we set out uh, to by $100,000 but we had a $900,000 campaign. Yeah. And what's great about that? What did we learn? How did we grow? What did we achieve? What's the benefit to our customers? That builds confidence and it enables people to set even bigger goals in the future. Mm -hmm. Because if you create a culture where you focus on the gap and you take you know retribution on the people because they didn't close that gap and you only reward people if they exceed the goal, then you know people are going to just set lower and lower goals. And I've seen this happen in organizations over and over again. So the goals get so low that they become manageable, but then even those goals are missed because they're not compelling. Right. One of the books that we've been going through in Leaderbox is a book called Hurting Tigers by Todd Henry. And I really like what he has to say about what fuels creative people. So when you're managing highly creative people, highly talented people, they primarily need two things from you, stability and challenge. 
By stability, I mean that they need to have clear boundaries around their creative process so that they can be effective in channeling their focus, their time, and their energy. There's a common myth about highly creative people that says something like this. They only want complete freedom, no boundaries, but it's not true. Complete freedom is not useful when you're creating on demand under time and budget constraints. Rather, your team needs clear expectations or rails from you, and they need to know the terms of engagement aren't going to shift halfway through the project. Also, they need you to protect them from the chaos of the organization to get buy-in from key stakeholders along the way so there aren't surprises and to guard the time that they need in order to do deep creative work. Orson Welles once quipped that the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. Healthy creativity is bounded creativity. The highly creative people on your team need you to set effective rails within which they can channel their energy. This is what stability is all about. However, that's only half of what they need. They also need challenge. This means that they want to be pushed. They want to take risks. They want to try new things and they want to discover their own unique capabilities. They need the leader to challenge them to be better than they think they can be. They need permission from you to take risks and to know that you'll have their back if they fail. They also need to know that you see them, that you understand what makes makes them tick and what makes them unique and that you are rooting for them to succeed. There is such a tremendous amount of risk involved in doing highly complex creative work. So the talented people on your team need to know that you see them taking those risks and that you're in the thick of it with them. You're right there with them shoulder to shoulder and that you have their back. The problem with this stability challenge dynamic is that they exist in tension with one another. So as you stabilize the organization, you tend to decrease the amount of perceived challenge that the team experiences. And as you ramp up the challenge, you tend to destabilize the organization because you're introducing chaos. So it's up to you as a leader to understand what each individual team member needs from you at any given moment in order to thrive. One person might feel the need to have a higher degree of challenge during a season in order to be fully engaged, while another person needs constant reassurance that you have their back. You need to know your team members well enough to be able to adjust the dials of of stability and challenge for them so that they have an environment in which they can thrive. So today we've learned that leading a team of high achievers is all about managing the creative tensions that drive performance. As we come in here for a landing, I just want to remind you that these tensions are not problems to be eliminated. They actually make growth possible. When you learn to balance these creative necessities, your team will thrive. Dad, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just would say you guys can do this. You can manage high achievers. Don't be afraid of them. Bring in people that are smarter more experienced, more capable than you are, and your whole organization will rise. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at leadto.win. We'd also like to thank our guests today, Rory Vaden and Todd Henry. And thank you for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. Also, please leave a review. And to make it really simple, just go to michaelhyatt.com slash review it. The program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joel Miller and Lawrence Wilson. 
Hello. Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. You only want to do that one. I'll do it again. I don't, I'm just like totally spaced out for a second. Yeah. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. Our intern is Winston. We invite you to join us next week when we'll show you how to keep meetings from ruining your productivity. Until then, lead to win. These high achievers. <laughs> That's so corny. <laughs> oh, you are like, you are like dad joke after dad joke here. Okay. <laughs>